Today is Friday, September 9th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Queen Elizabeth has died. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. If you agree with that mission, you'd like to see more of that, hey, you can help. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, share it with a friend. Let's get through the news of the cray together. It's a wild world out there. A lot of craziness going on. Why go through it from a secular perspective? Go through it from the Christian perspective. We actually believe what you do, that God is in control of all things and he's sovereign over all things and we're living in a fallen world, but there is hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, a lot better to view the news through that lens. So joining me now to help do that today, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faith Wire. Billy, it's Friday. We are there. What's going on? It's it's time for the weekend. Yes. It's crazy. This week flew by. Indeed. As always, as it seems, there's so much going on. We're going to get to as much of it as we can today. And look, I talk about craziness, Billy. I mean, your story today, there's a surge in Satanism. What is going on? So much confusion, too. A surge of that surrounding it. And you're going to break that down. I mean, you've been dealing with these guys for a long time, right? I have been. Yes. I have been. And, you know, you learn a lot along the way. You do. <laughs> a lot of back and forth from Billy. <laughs> follow, follow Billy on Twitter. You'll eventually see some sort of um, interactions with uh, Satanists, atheists, all kinds of good stuff. So uh, Billy's over there on Twitter. You can follow him there and see that. Interesting, interesting dynamic. But also coming up on the main thing today, free speech on college campuses. We, we kind of have all seen the anecdotal evidence that strongly suggests it's diminishing. Now we've got some data to go along with that claim. John Stolness takes a deeper dive into a survey that's shedding more light on that trend. But first, we're going to go through the news in 90 seconds. The longest reigning monarch in British history, Queen Elizabeth II, died yesterday at the age of 96. She served for 70 years and visited 13 presidents since that time, beginning with Truman. Now King Charles has made a statement about the death of his mother, and he said, The death of my beloved mother, Her Majesty the Queen, is a moment of the greatest sadness for me and all members of my family. We mourn profoundly the passing of a cherished sovereign and a much-loved mother. On a recent Christmas, the Queen had spoke about her faith. She said, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance, and healing. And in a striking image yesterday, which we posted over on faithwire.com, on her Facebook page, shortly after her passing, a rainbow appear, appeared over London. Reverend Franklin Graham added, I will always appreciate her example of leadership and her life of integrity. He said, my father said he found Queen Elizabeth to be a woman of rare modesty and character, while adding that he's especially grateful for the Queen's friendship with my father, Billy Graham. He cherished her friendship that was built on a shared love for Jesus Christ and a belief in God's word. Elsewhere, Ukraine's military is putting new weapons sent from America to use, launching more offensives against Russian positions. President Zelensky reported, quote-unquote, good news from Kharkiv, and he said they're breaking through Russian lines and spots and that Russia is so desperate for weapons, they're reportedly looking to buy massive amounts of rockets from North Korea. There's still a lot of danger out there, however, including threats to a Ukrainian nuclear power plant. You can read about the latest on that and much more over at cbnnews.com. And Billy, 
the death of Queen Elizabeth here. People are fascinated with the royals. Obviously, she lived quite a remarkable life, but people are fascinated with the royal families, and and, and it's just it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that you just don't see in a lot of places anymore. Well, I think it's the it's the pomp and ceremony. It's the things. There are very few things in the world that everybody sort of sees, and there's like such a deep history to it. Even for people you know who aren't Catholic, a lot of people find it interesting when a pope is installed, a new yeah. one, right? that whole process of what goes on. It's a very similar thing with sort of a historic rooting and yeah, you know, she's a world leader. Everybody knows, right? So it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It really is. It is. And so now King Charles is, they've got a King over there now. I mean, it's just, and then of course you trace that lineage back and it's just, it's, it's an, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, there's even no matter what you think about the Royals, it's a fascinating thing to have that line traced all the way back. Uh, and these lives that these, Royals get to lead. It's it's quite interesting and, and and a fascinating thing to watch from afar. But nevertheless, um, it sounds like Queen Elizabeth was a believer, and so we of course mourn her passing, but celebrate that she uh, is with Christ in heaven. So, all right, let's go into our uh, story for today here, Billy. And we're seeing, as I mentioned at the top, these stories on Satanism sort of popping up more frequently. We just talked about the little demon show. It's a p- coming out from popular actors, Danny DeVito, um, Aubrey Plaza. And you're so you're seeing this stuff and people are comfortable with it. So let's dive. You dove into this a little bit over on faithwire.com. And let's just start here, Billy. Why, why do you think it's important that we actually understand what's being said, what's being claimed and what's going on with this trend? Because, you know, there are a lot of headlines, right? And we talk about these headlines a lot, as you were saying. And you see the headline, you read the story about Satanists launching an after-school club or having a monument or going after the Ten Commandments. And there are a lot of questions about who are these Satanists? What do they believe? I think for most people, when they hear the word Satanist, they're thinking about somebody who worships the devil, who actually believes the devil is a god, right? Uh, But the reality is... It's a lot more complicated than that, and it's really hard to understand the stories fully if we don't really understand what the people behind them actually believe. And so what what is it? I mean, if you had to sum it up, you know, what would you say Satanists actually believe? Because there's conflicting things here. I mean, I think Christians would think one thing, um, but I don't think there's, you know, it's not one simple thing that you can just button up and put a bow on it. Yeah, so there's really two camps, right? There's the atheistic Satanists. And then they're the theological Satanists, the atheistic Satanists. These are the ones actually, believe it or not, that are the ones we hear about the most. It's the Satanic Temple. It's the Church of Satan. These are people who actually do not believe that the devil exists. They do not believe he's real. They believe he's fictitious. They believe he's sort of a symbol with attributes they might aspire to or enjoy in terms of being a rebel, but they don't actually worship him. So a lot of the people driving these stories are actually atheists who call themselves Satanists. And so that's a little confusing, but the second group, it's apparently a much smaller group. We don't have numbers on how many people are theological Satanists. These are the people who worship Satan. And this, as Christians, we understand this a little bit more. It's the stereotypical what we we would assume a Satanist is. But again, nine times out of 10, the people in the stories that we're reading, they fall into that first camp of the atheistic Satanists. Hmm. It's interesting because, I mean, I would argue that they can try to distance themselves from Satan by saying they're an atheist and they don't believe any of this stuff. But 
I would think by default, if you're not aligning yourself with God, there's no neutrality. You're either with God or, or you're against God. And so I would put them in the against God camp, whether they realize it or not. But why, but why would these atheists who claim they don't believe in anything, why would they align themselves with what is widely known in our culture as like the embodiment of evil, right? Like why, why would they choose to align themselves with this? Is it, is it trolling? Like what, what are they trying to accomplish here? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different <laughs> attributes of this group. You know, some people will accuse the Satanic Temple of you know trying to make headlines, right? Because a lot of the things they do, they make headlines with or trying to get attention. Um, but there does seem to be this real push to be attracted to this figure who, even if they don't believe in Satan, who kind of bucks the party line, goes against what, you know, the truth is and what everybody believes. They sort of admire this individual, this figure. And that's interesting because to your point, what you were just saying, you know, I actually wrote in the piece, it really doesn't matter whether or not they believe Satan exists or not. It's a rejection of Jesus in true yeah, faith, absolutely. right? So that to me is the core of this. And Got Questions had a great line. They said, whether Satanists believe in Satan or not is irrelevant to Satan. The end result is the same. Yeah. Their souls are in bondage to him. But, but yeah, I think these people they're trying to embrace, they're trying to be countercultural, assuming that the culture is Christian, which we know is not really the case, but that that's where they're at and that's where they operate from. So so what are they left with then? What are the implications here you, of becoming essentially a Satanist? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting truth. You're aligning yourself with organizations that advocate, even if it's a symbolic figure of Satan that they don't believe exists, that advocate, as you were saying, for the very baseline of evil. And again, I don't know the numbers on Satanists because we don't really poll to ask people, but we can assume, based on what we're seeing, the move away from Christianity, that there's a vacuum and people are looking to fill that void. So when there's something that seems attractive, and by the way, there are people who poll from both sides. They'll poll some of the theological, some of the atheistic elements of this. Um, it's very, very fascinating, very troubling. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a rejection of truth. And that's what we have to recognize. And instead of, we have to remember, pray for these people, pray for yeah. these organizations. Yeah. And, and I think, if, especially if they're trying to go with this, well, we don't really believe in it. We're just, you know, this is a symbol, blah, blah, blah. We're trolling or whatever the case might be. It's hard for, you can't just brush it off because, because look at all the other things that are going on right now that are actually evil. I mean, I mean, we talked about it this week on the podcast that we are living in a time, you know, of Isaiah five, you know, they woe to those who are calling good evil and evil good. We're, we're living that every day. We're, we're seeing that right now. People are celebrating Clear things that are go against scripture, you know, mutilating children, changing, trying to change their sex and their gender, all of that stuff that's happening right now, the, the targeting, the sexualization of children, all of that stuff, clearly, clearly evil. So, like, you can't then at the same time go, oh, we're just kidding about all this Satan stuff. Like, really? Because I'm seeing everything that's happening and it sure seems like you're all in on this. So, yeah. So it, yeah. it, it is something to keep an eye on because they, they, like you said, they can claim all they want that it's just, it's, it's symbolic or whatever. But like, like you said, you know, you're either with God or you're against. And so it's clear which camp they're in. So we'll keep covering that. And I know you will, Billy, you'll be on, on the lookout for more of that because we got to know, we got to know the times we're living in so that we can accurately and adequately respond when these things pop up. Hopefully, you know, in our neck of the woods, we have a good response for that. So thank you for bringing us that story. And that leads us 
right into our main thing today and free speech on college campus. I mean, we have seen that it is under attack. I mean, you, you, you one-sided, yes, but when you have a certain point of view, colleges and universities, which used to be supposedly the place where free thought would reign and free ideas would be allowed to be explored. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And now there's more than just anecdotal evidence to support that. We've got some data coming in that supports the claim, it seems. And John Solness takes a deeper dive into a survey that's shedding more light on this disturbing trend on today's main thing. Well, when we enter a higher learning, uh, when we enter college campuses, it's expected, I think, in the past that we would all be able to kind of grow our voices and, and, and learn more about ourselves and the world around us. And the way we do that has traditionally in American history been through open debate with each other. But uh, a new study finds, and I think this is not going to surprise many of you listening, that that trend is decreasing here in America. And a new study points out just how much how much free speech on college campuses is being restricted. So joining me to talk about a new study from the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression is Senior Research Fellow Sean Stevens. Sean, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now you say this is the largest survey on student free expression ever conducted. 45,000 student yep. voices from all over the country at different colleges. Um, can you tell us which schools according to your results, came out as being as having uh, the most uh, the best environment for, for free speech. Yeah. So, you know, that that little nugget is true of each one we've run. We've done this in 2020, 2021, 2022. And each year we've increased the, the size and the, the scope and the number of schools we've surveyed. So this year, as in previous years, uh, the University of Chicago ranked very highly. This is the second out of three years that they were number one. Um, we'll point out that they still certainly have like fairly big enough room for improvement. Um, our scores go from zero to 100. They have like a 77.92, so roughly a 78. We would give that, we'd rate that speech climate as good. Um, but, you know, if they were above 90, we would consider that exceptional. Um, other schools that did well were Purdue University, also did well last year, Kansas State University, which has done well in our rankings uh, the previous two years, uh, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, and Claremont McKenna was number six this year. They were number one last year, um, remained at the top ranked liberal arts school. All right. So where is speech being most restricted? Yeah. So in last, we we have um, Columbia University. Um, and, I, and so this kind of score was they have a 9.91. So they're rated fairly well. <laughs> um, uh, that would be an abysmal rating uh, based on our kind of speech climate classifications. Um, and they're down there for a couple of reasons. Um, in interestingly, I will point out, they actually do well on our, we have a number of components that make up the overall score. And one of these components is uh, political tolerance. And we assess that in kind of a classic way uh, by asking tolerance for speakers that are offensive. And so we ask about for liberal speakers, for conservative speakers. Um, the idea is they're offensive to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, you know, and they're supposed to be because that's the way you measure tolerance. Right. Um, surprisingly, Columbia actually does pretty well on this component. Like they, they do, they, they're very tolerant of liberal speakers, but also relative to most of the other schools, they're fairly tolerant of conservative speakers. Okay. They have a big bias. We, we factor in the difference as well um, between the two. 
Um, but they that component is that's not why they do poorly, actually. It's like it's not like, oh, they're super biased against the conservative speakers. Um, the main reason they actually they get punished a lot for there were a number of scholars sanctioned over the past four years. And so there's a number of entries from Columbia University that show up in our scholars under fire database. And then other reasons their administration is perceived as kind of, you know, fairly strong on free speech. But then there's things like on openness um, in terms of discussing controversial topics um, and um, support for disruptive conduct, which is things like shout downs, mm -hmm. uh, blocking entry and even potentially um, students using violence to stop a speaker or speech event. They, they don't do as well. on. So Columbia is ranks the worst. What are some of the other schools uh, that you have listed there? Yeah. So some of the other ones at the bottom are uh, UPenn. Mm -hmm. um, they also have um, punishments from uh, mainly from scholars under fire, they, they have a number of punishments from that. I will note that um, a number of those incidents include controversial Professor Amy Wax, um, who you know has been in the news a lot in like the last four years um, for basically comments about affirmative action, um, inequality, et cetera, um, op-ed pieces and, and comments about her students. Um, so that's that's one aspect of it. Um, but like Columbia, they also do badly on things like disruptive conduct, openness, comfort expressing ideas. And so this is a component where we ask students how comfortable they are expressing their views in different contexts on campus. So it could be in a written assignment, it could be in the classroom, it could be in the quad or the dining hall, social media. So a feeling that they have to self-censor themselves. Yeah, that's what that's one of the ways we kind of get at it. We also kind of more directly ask about self-censorship with a few other questions um, mm -hmm. where we ask if they've ever, you know, not expressed their views because of how people on campus would respond, like students, faculty, or the administration. Um and then we also we had, this year we added questions about how worried about you about your reputation being damaged because someone misinterprets something you said or did mm -hmm. and do you feel pressure to not express certain views in the classroom okay. um, so we added a few more questions to try to get at this um so other schools that do poorly um rpi rensselaer polytechnic institute which i'll note has a lifetime censorship award from fire <laughs> my goodness um, <laughs> uh, that that was they're well, overachieving yeah, a few years ago <laughs> but yeah so they might be over they're already overachieving i guess um georgetown university uh skidmore college rounded out the bottom five uh yale and northwestern were kind of right outside this as well okay i, I want to get into uh, a little bit more about your your findings on students who feel they need to be restrained or they have to self-censor mm -hmm. what 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 group of students did felt or responded to your questionnaire the questionnaire that felt like they were they were the ones that had to be most self-restrained that they couldn't freely share their views i would actually say it's kind of a very like linear progression almost as you come in from like very progressive left and and you're even students who would identify as liberal but aren't as as quote left and maybe yeah. close to the center you start seeing self-censorship start to rise and then it's it is higher in in you know more moderate and, and politically conservative students and you know we did get about something like about a thousand or so libertarians um, in the sample as well. So you get that, but you also do get democratic socialists saying, my views are too left for people and I can't, <laughs> like, I can't yeah. say them. Um, so it's, it seems to affect each group, but yeah, it, as it trends in, the, in a predictably 
political direction based on what other studies have found in the past. And, and I guess the bottom line for, for all this is, is where is the line between controversial speech where people should be allowed, you know, that you may be on ideologically different sides of things, but it's you're you're just you're discussing issues and they're very important and people take them very personally. And that's understandable. But to be able to have a conversation and I, I personally think it's good if you're on one side of the ideological spectrum to hear from the other side, mm -hmm. to hear from exactly what they have to say. So whether you're a conservative, to listen to liberals, liberals, listen to conservatives and have that conversation. But where does the line get drawn between having a a spirited conversation on a controversial topic and say like hate speech? You know, I mean, and I think that's to me and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like there's there's some difficulty trying to find where that dividing line is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's largely for each individual is in effect in the eye of the beholder, right? right? And that's, right. that's, that's a broader philosophical question. And it's, you know, one of the arguments for why you don't have really any restrictions on this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it, on, on that issue, on that more narrow issue, though, it, you know, a college campus, especially a classroom with, you know, a pretty informed professor and or graduate student um, leading the class or leading the discussion, um you would hope that that's actually a space where we could explore these things yeah. and not have what's become a kind of fairly common knee-jerk reaction we see outside campus um, <laughs> when people kind of discuss these issues and disagree with each other um you hope you could probe like a little deeper there and on that it's like i think professors administrators can do perhaps a better job of modeling how to do that and, and maybe moderating some of these conversations yeah. um again i'm not I, I have plenty of experience teaching in a classroom you know I have a phd I, I did a postdoc i worked at universities for a long time mm. yeah <laughs> one thing i do think has occurred and, and i think people should be reasonably concerned about is this idea of concept creep where mm. you know x amount of years ago it was clear it's like okay these are the slurs and kind of like the hateful things yeah. do your best to avoid those probably um, and now that it's the domain seems to be expanding and expanding in some ways quickly and people might not even know that certain things they're saying maybe fall in this expanded domain for somebody else. Um, and so I, I just I think that's a you know something to be concerned about and it's reasonable to kind of have those concerns. And that's something where I think it, it falls more on like faculty, professors, grad students, administrators to try to navigate those waters with with undergraduate students and facilitate you know yeah. ways to discuss these different things too yeah. sean if people want to find out more about the study where do they, where can they go to do that they can go to the fire.org it's pasted on the main page right now you'll be able to download the report you'll be able to see the rankings kind of explore them the dashboard allows you to compare schools with each other um, gives you more details on individual schools and then you can also explore the data in uh, more detail um, and it's also, you know, if anyone's really interested in the raw data file, um, it's available upon request. You can email data at thefire.org. Well, I think this is a really important topic. So everybody make sure you check it out. Uh, Senior Research Fellow from the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, Sean Stevens, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, John, thank you so much for looking into that and bringing that information to the podcast today. Really appreciate it. All right, that leaves us with time for our one last thing. And we are going to Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, where Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not uh, gather with me scatters. That's what we were talking about today, Billy. This idea that there's neutrality, 
somehow that, oh, we're just, you need to get religion out of there. We just need to be neutral. There is no neutral. It's an impossible thing. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone's following something. You're not just neutral and, and reacting to things no. as they come, no matter what you think. Yeah, I mean, and you read the entirety of scripture and you have a hard time understanding how people walk away saying, you can believe whatever you want. You can yeah. do whatever you want. I mean, Jesus is so painfully clear. You have to die to yourself. You have to live for him. It's not about you, right? Yet that's the polar opposite of what we're selling in culture. It's about Jesus. It's, you know, don't be lukewarm even, right? Those are people yeah. who are saying they kind of believe, but they're not fully living it out. I mean, this is so clear that we need to be on that straight and narrow path. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a reminder for us all as Christians and not just an indictment on unbelievers. It is that. But it's a reminder for us, too, that we have to be all in on our faith. We've got to be following Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Not always easy to do. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over in history with the Israelites up until now. It's so easy to you know, get sidetracked and to focus on something else and put your hope and your faith and your trust in something else other than other than uh, Christ. It's it's very easy to do, as humans have proven uh, over time and throughout history. So, all right, that's yep. all the time we have for today. We made it. We made it through. We did it. I know. We did it. We did it. Easy peasy. But uh, hopefully you enjoy the rest of your Friday. We are glad you were with us all week. We appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed, do it. If you haven't left a rating or comment, do it. Uh, we'd love that. Love to hear from you. So, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We will be back here on Monday with more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. <laughs>